Hello and welcome to BakaCast, episode 379. Woo-hoo! God, we are really getting close to 400. Yeah, we'll have to get some special guests or something. Oh, or maybe boy. we just won't show up. Can we just review uh, yeah. ice? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I can't remember. When we did Ice last time, did we make Luke watch it? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Uh, no, no. no hey, we want to do something Well, here's different. the other thing. We should I, try I, and get I, Megan back on. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I will say one other thing. Yeah, You shouldn't inflict people who live close to you the things like Ice. Because <laughs> they look, can come look, back and Luke, haunt you. <laughs> Luke lives in Texas. That's quite a few miles away. You can't yeah. easily retaliate. Uh, huh? Heard that before. <laughs> well, I mean, un- un- until the next PAX I meet him at, then he could easily retaliate, but... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I'm your host, Brain Dustin. damage caused I... by ice will make him forget about it, so... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, like... Yeah. It's, 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 ama- it's like a self-neuralizer, really. All right, we're uh, two um, minutes. We're two minutes into the show. I think you can introduce us now. I, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, my name's Dustin, and let me tell you, Larry. Like, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and there are quite a few podcasts where they do not finish like their actual introduction until like fifteen minutes into the podcast. Yeah, but we're not your typical. <laughs> it podcast. could be more tangenty. Yeah, but we're not your typical podcast. Didn't you know that? I run a tight goddamn ship around here, comparatively. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> our, fearless, know is... our fearless leader. Fearful? Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so that was that was Larry uh, somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, ben. Yo. And Aaron. Uh, who will chime in to make fun of me, but not to actually assemble for roll call, of course. Well, uh, I keep forgetting to put my chirping crickets back on this computer so I can, you know, dub in some sound for you. Yeah, well, I keep forgetting to make a soundboard, so. Well, not forgetting, it's just like I think I should make a soundboard. I'm like, but then I would have to devote time to something that's not video games. <laughs> and I decide yeah. not to do it. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, you can find show notes at www.projectre.net or at audioentropy.com. I remember the order, Larry. I just choose to occasionally put things in front of it. Hey, you know, um, I'm just I'm just sitting here reading off my ten years worth of notes, so we don't forget anything important. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, so on this episode of Podcast, uh, we will be reviewing. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and start with Gene Shaft. Um, the first seven yes. episodes. Because well, I think if we wait till the end, like I'll be too loopy to even deal with what the hell Gene Shaft is. Yes, welcome to Gene Shaft, home of the I, uh, debugging your sick Chrome Mecca to sick guitar riffs. That, yeah, that is... Uh, no Th- that is one thing I definitely want to mention, is this soundtrack is wild. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> like, no, 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 I have the soundtrack. It is wild. 
Like they have they have one guitar riff they use for every time they're booting up the gene sh- booting up the shaft. Yes. Uh, and yes, you do. hear it a lot because they fail to boot up the shaft and have to restart booting up the shaft a whole lot in these first few episodes. Yeah. Um, it's like I sh- <laughs> like that is that is like got to be like one of the biggest software engineering fails ever. <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I no, mean, no, no. it's it's essentially like the Windows ME of Mecca. <laughs> oh, you, you, you give it too much credit. Um, this is what happens when you steal alien technology and only have 60% of the Rosetta Stone to translate what you got. Yeah. It's trying to assemble IKEA furniture without the manual. <laughs> and no glue. Wait, do you, do you use glue for IKEA furniture? I thought the point no. was that it all just slots in and uh, has like some well, specialized screws that if you lose the wrench for it, you're totally screwed. Yeah, that's why you glue it together and don't worry about it. <laughs> Larry, I'm not sure you're assembling your IKEA furniture properly. It's it's survived kids and so far the little monsters, so we're good. Yeah, well, I guess if it works. Yeah, um, yeah so Jeep Shaft is a bizarre show in that the first episode starts out with terrorism uh and actually pretty action-packed and then in episode two it's like well we can't get this program to work and we keep i'm like the, what keep, is what happened to the terrorists we keep getting oh they'll be they're around don't worry they'll be back um um well they're uh, highly sophisticated alien technology Mac is as buggy and batty as a, yeah, yeah. It, it, it even took us. It took us like seven episodes to get back to the terrorist plotline, pretty much. Yep. Um, well, I, I'm I'm looking through Wikipedia, and it is funny to me that like even Wikipedia does not have episode summaries <laughs> for this show. Well, so I cannot rely on it to refresh my memory of what the hell happened. Well, the problem with Gene Shaft is it came out after some good sci-fi, and it tried to put good sci-fi and bad writing together, and it blew. Uh, Yeah, so... Hmm. Like, I guess we should go over the basic premise of Gene Shaft real quick. <laughs> are, so, are you sure you're going to be able to? I'm going to give it my best damn shot. Uh, well, so, if you need help, let me know. Gene Shaft is a show where, because, like, the Earth was in danger, I think, like, humanity... Uh, did a bunch of DNA engineering, Gattaca style. Um, but in this world, um, they also decided to make the ratio of males to females like one to eight or one to nine or something one to like nine. that. Um, which I guess makes some sense. Um, well, they... But also, it is weird to me that. There still very much seems to be a patriarchy. <laughs> well, it, it, it gets back to the old conehead guys sitting in the chairs yet that you haven't seen those episodes. Yeah, the 21st century uh, humans, hi, 21st century human here speaking. Yeah, we uh, got greedy, destroyed the planet, and almost did ourselves in. 
So um, somewhere along the line, an organization which is pretty accurate. To... Oh yeah. Oh god, I just I just so I initially said the ratio of one to nine kind of makes sense because I was thinking like you know you like the because I was thinking of it in terms of pregnancy, but I was reading through the story summary on Wikipedia. I apparently missed the actual reason for it. Yes. Uh, the ratio of men to women is 1 to 9, as it is considered that males are more aggressive than females, and this was part of what led past societies to destruction. Uh-huh. Which, Unfortunately, okay. there are some pretty aggressive females in this, too. Also, I didn't initially realize how screwed up the concept of registers truly are. Uh, apparently their sole purpose is to be assigned to a man and document all the actions that that man takes. And yeah, to make sure that men's not DNA too contains, Yeah, as men's DNA contains elements of destructive desires that cannot be eliminated while acting as his assistant. Yo, this show has some really messed up gendered politics. Well, <laughs> you, you get into the episode where the guys in the space shuttle show up and then you realize that, uh... <laughs> and taking that out is love, ten times taking, worse than it originally looked like. And taking out uh, love and emotion, you know, the, they, uh, all right, these are all supposedly genetically inner chest tube beings, and the argument was being, well, if there's that, why didn't you just make them neutral, gender neutral? Well, yeah, like, because one of the weird things about Gene Shaft is it very much is it very much is saying that the. DNA manipulation is bad, but it doesn't really seem to be touching on, like, the weird gender dynamics all that much. It's mostly just focused on manipulating DNA and emotions is bad. But patriarchy's fine. <laughs> well, it, you, when you get the Which, I mean, when you get the character grouped together, I mean, you know... Mika's the closest per closest thing to, and she's not even a normal human being, but she's the closest thing to normal. Was Sophia being second? Mir and Remy, <sighs> Mir and Remy, um, registers. Yeah, it, it it the setup. They could have done something better with the setup, but like I said, this is where decent animation, a loud soundtrack, and lousy writing meet science fi. <laughs> it is and i'm not gonna call it sci-fi it's science fried uh fine yeah it is like i will admit it is a fascinating train wreck like i am enjoying my time with it but not necessarily always for the reasons that i think the show wants me to be entertained um though i am absolutely entertained by the like a hacker who has just used who's a ventriloquist <laughs> Well, oh yeah, she like, just uh, uses the doll to troll people. Uh, she, yeah, she, in, in a show that's filled with weird, weird things, that may be be the weirdest things thing. It's like here's an eight year old girl who only talks through her. Well, not only, but mostly talks through her puppet, and well, like she, she's the elite hacker well, who apparently never needs to sleep. No, no, no. She, well, well, she does eventually, <laughs> but yeah, she. They we got, never once see her sleep. Yeah, the the poor code girls are are in the same boat. And, and they were there were supposed to be like a dozen of them, and only three survived the space station. So, Speaking yeah, about like that, the... the one that I love is uh, first of all Lord Sneak. 
Yes. Got that that name. It's like really, guys. Really. Well, you know. I wonder if he's a bad guy. No, they've got him dressed in black, and he shoots his register. <laughs> no, he's not bad. And his and name but, is Sneak. And and, and, he, and he, every everywhere he goes, he's got to mark his territory. He puts bullet holes in it. Uh, I, I just like so he shoots his register, and then he gets on the ship, and the uh, the sort of captain that he put in place for the ship is like, "Hey, what happened to your register? Oh, she didn't make it. Oh, okay, that's cool." Continuing yeah, on. Yeah, I'm not going to question this at all. Well, this nor is, the fact that is... she's supposed to be, like, with you 24-7. Well, and that is... if you survived, she should have survived. Well, she but... got in the way of my pistol range. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, that's the thing, though. Men are supposed to be so content that it's like things like that. Oh, oh yeah, okay. Well, that's fine. I mean, Mario... Basically, basically Mar... everyone on this show is incompetent. <laughs> well... The, the the dynamic of Mario and Tiki, you know, A, there's not supposed to be siblings. Well, yeah, with special permission, you can have a sibling. Yeah, well, oh, we're from the same God. DNA, but we're not alike. Oh, yeah, you're from the same DNA, and you're definitely not alike. Yeah, there, 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 there's some things in the show that they hint at that they could have worked a little harder at that could have really made the show better. But wait, like I said, we, we've still got six more episodes to go by the time that's over. Uh, yeah. Uh, honestly, I, I feel like all the problems that the uh, crew has been dealing with could be solved if they just brought the dog on board. Because the dog yes. seems like oh, the most well-adjusted well, I, member of the cast. Well, because... I just love that they have the dog that you that that can communicate via typing with the mouse. Yeah, apparently, like, they don't explicitly mention this at all but apparently during like the dna experiment phase they just like hey what if we could make dogs that can use computers no this was and people were like yeah that seems like a good idea and those people were correct no no, what you didn't get is i would love to i am with my dog no, what you didn't get is biz is mika's mother's proof of consent of her gna engineering she's he's he's the proof concept yeah see i did all this and look. okay so okay so this isn't like a widespread thing this was what? just mika's mother's like weird ass science experiment yeah, she, it was fetish it was her, it, it, it was her um... <laughs> oh god please no <laughs> so she can sex uh, with her dog from work it no. was it, it was her doctoral thesis it counts because i can get consent now no mika's mother <laughs> I was the okay. goal all along. Yeah. For, uh... Yeah, okay, yeah. never mind. I remember... Yeah. I apologize who... that I interrupted that for a very bad joke, Larry. Yes. Other examples yeah. of talking... Other examples of smart dogs in science fiction. Uh, let's see, Bruce Sterling had a book called Holy Fire, which, like, uh, took place, like, 100 years in the future. So, well... It was written in 1996, so it takes place in 2096. And yeah, it's got genetically engineered uh, dogs that can talk. And it can cool. hold Neat. like and it can hold decent conversations, like they go on talk shows and whatnot. Can they was there a book out? series that had dolphins that could psychic dolphins that pilot spaceships? Yeah. Uh, yes, that was uh, <clears throat> that was Star Tide Rising by David Brin. Okay. I actually yeah, thought that, yeah. actually, actually, I remember uh, 
way back on a previous episode of Bogget Cast, I suggested that would make a really good anime. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That may be what I'm remembering <laughs> that from, actually. <laughs> See, I occasionally retain information on this show. <laughs> also, Justin, yeah. I have your um, your cover art for this episode. Oh, oh boy, God, I can't wait. It, it's quite possibly my favorite line so far. Okay, which one is that? Okay, it's a mirror line. I knew it is. She always has the best lines. My pride won't stand for me to get turned into space dust. Yeah, alright. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you hearing? <laughs> Look. She's uh, very proud, and she doesn't want... <laughs> To be turned into space dust. It's very, uh, it's very straightforward. I like Mira a lot. I know she's supposed to be the asshole, but so often I find myself no, she's the... empathizing more with Mira than basically anybody else. <laughs> yes, she, well, she, because she, the whole time she's just like, "What are these idiots doing?" It, yes, the... when she refuses to get into the, when she refuses to get into the, uh, let's see, Shaft. the robot with buggy with the buggy operating system. She is right. <laughs> Yeah, well, see, the problem with this this show is it, everybody gets the shaft one way or the other. <laughs> well, yeah, Mika seems uh, to be on, and, you know, you will find out a few things about Mika. The The question that you might have is that last time she used the shaft and Mir did the force change on her and all of a sudden the shaft did things it wasn't supposed to do. Like, yeah, suddenly get suddenly the shaft gets like a sweet like giant beam laser and and Mir's like when did this happen? <laughs> well, this is part Who of put this here. This, this is part of Mika being a white, a genetic white. I thought it was more oh, I can't remember what happened in the next episodes, but uh like the end of episode 7 seemed to imply more that it was Remy that did it. Yeah, well, yeah, because like there's the, there's a scene at the end where like everybody's basically turning on Mika because they think she's being duplicitous, and then Remy is like meets up with Sneak, and Sneak's like, hmm, yes, good job on your mission, and Remy's like, yes, thank yes. you, yes, those two little terrorists. Um, well, it's Remy planted the program knowing yeah, that yeah we'll find out have, when well, next she, episode yeah, Larry. Anyway, yeah 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 anyway yeah it, anyway. it, gets, it gets interesting but the the mario and tiki yeah an italian plumber and a dragon right <laughs> yeah cute <clears throat> what gets me yeah what gets me is like the uh the writers here are like Obviously steeped in like classic science fiction, and they know they got some of it, but like they could not execute, <laughs> they could not execute it a, a good science fiction story on their own. Well, yeah, like I can clearly tell that these people had a lot of ideas that they wanted to do, but none of them really fit together super well. Well, I mean, after yeah. like, yeah, it, one thing, one thing that was interesting is yeah, all the episode titles are like are uh, either named after or variations on the titles of uh, uh, classic science fiction stories. Yeah. And um. and there's even, like, actual callbacks, like, to, like, like, okay, 
like that whole thing about the giant the the giants of Ganymede and that and that bit in the backstory about how the the asteroid belt was actually a planet that you know was destroyed. Yeah, like there was a whole, there was this trilogy uh, by James uh, James P. Hogan, uh, <clears throat> whose first volume was called Inherit the Stars, by the way. Oh, rejected. I, I forgot to silence interrupt my, this podcast. I forgot to silence my phone. <laughs> I am terribly sorry about that. That's okay. Um, Look, I, I once interrupted this podcast with Siri, so like, it's you're fine. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. He's, uh, but, he's uh, always interested it with bark, bark. But we've never heard horses whinny in the background. But right. So so yeah. So like, as I was saying, so there was this. Uh, Right, classics, classic series of science fiction novels, starting with *Inherit the Stars*, that which which had like this whole thing about like the yeah there like in the second second volume was actually called *The Gentle Giants of Ganymede*, um, uh, you know, and and which has like the whole in the backstory it has this whole thing about this like uh, super advanced super advanced alien civilization on like. The, the planet between Mars and Jupiter that got destroyed and got turned into the asteroid belt. Yep. So, a little callback there. But, uh... A little callback there, but, like... Yeah. <laughs> but, as a story, this thing is kind of a mess. Yeah, what... Which, like... I, I've said it before, but I... I usually appreciate it like when shows at least you know go for that gold ring like this this show tries real hard to be like something cool and unique and occasionally it is cool um it's always unique but very often it's it's bad but that's okay because like i'm at least enjoying seeing what these people are attempting to do with this story oh wait a minute uh even if I'm still not entirely sure, like, like what, like why the DNA stuff is important to the main story arc, because it doesn't really seem to be right now. Well, oh, it's... like it seems mostly to just be background stuff, and the actual story is like there are terrorists, and also aliens are attacking us that are like these weird ring things, and yeah. also we can't get our goddamn mecha to work. Uh, <laughs> None of stolen, which have anything to do with genetic engineering. Our stolen technology, yeah, it does, because in boxing up the DNA, they took a lot of creativity out of the human soul. Um, wait, one of the things that got me is, like, the, the episodes that come after uh, landing on Ganymede, which is I think is, like, the third episode, Yeah, and uh, the hacker girl coming on, like, the episodes after that, like, there's no real direction as to why they're, like, just in space and flying they're around for no rings. apparent reason. They're chasing Yeah, rings. that is one weird thing I notice is that for, like, the episodes two through five, there's practically no tension. Because, like, I know this terror stuff is happening in the background, and they keep talking about how, like, things are happening and they need to get stuff done, but it never feels like there's actually any, like, real urgency. Well, you remember I said when they found the robots and stuff, 
the alien technology. They had 60% of the Rosetta Stone. Well, that also went for the script for the show. They had 60% of the script of the show, and then what they couldn't figure out, they just kind of put fluffy filler in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I I have to admit, you know, when uh, getting back to when the shuttle guys show up and you know, old Larry's sitting there trying to tell Mika how 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 to, uh, <laughs> ha, ha. yeah I, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah I I, I thought I saw that I was like, huh, a guy named Larry got to be like the uh-huh. the guy to tell the kids that you know maybe maybe the the things that are happening are wrong. Yeah, well, <laughs> give him a little old school wisdom. Well. And with a little, unfortunately, with a little genetic internet engineering, it looks like forty-five is the end of the lifespan, which yeah. annoyed me. Larry. Annoyed me the first time I watched it because of something I'll tell you guys later. <laughs> and the, and now that I watch it, it's still annoying. Uh, I'm sorry you got disintegrated by aliens, Larry. No, I just I just beamed. He got back. sent back. And, yeah, I got. Yeah, the, back. the problem I, is though is that uh, my, when they got beamed I, back. Did they did they did they get beamed back in the relative position, the same relative positions to their shuttle? Because if they yeah. did, yeah. then those or guys did they are... just get beamed into space or inside a planet? Hey, you know what? Look, you know, we're all gonna go someday and some of us are just gonna do it better than others. You know. Okay. Some of us will do it by being transported to the edge of space and burning up in reentry. Yep. I mean, uh, let's so, see. Oh yeah, they also they also named their uh, let's see they also named their base on Ganymede Niven. Mm-hmm. Another classic science fiction reference. And, yeah, and yeah. The which Bilkis they they did named need... after a uh, yeah. Egyptian queen. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of little nicky nacky things here that that's great and. You know, when we finish the rest of it, we can go into the rest of it. But man, they had a chance to really do something here, and through seven episodes, they kind of yeah. So, I, I like I, I won't give like a definitive score until we're through with it, but I'm leading towards a three because like it's a mess, but I'm still having a good time. <laughs> but it is still highly enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, I can't I can't hate on this show too much. Oh no, it's. Uh... Actually, the the second watch after ten years is um, I'm kind of going okay, yeah, yeah. I, there's only been a couple surprises. I kind of remembered most of the plot. I still don't know why, but maybe it's because from yeah, the time like, where I was watching well, and paying more attention to anime before podcasting. Yeah, I'm just yeah, I'm just waiting for like the like the the big. I mean, because like what we have so far yeah. in the first seven episodes is that. They've barely touched on like the main overplot. Yeah, it's, and yeah, it's real weird. So we're, uh, you know, so like I'm waiting for like I'm waiting for like when the main overplot kicks in and the real train wreck happens. Oh, it's coming. Yeah. They they've been declared traitors, and so uh, the High Earth Council we will finally hear from in detail, and uh, yeah, that's that's quite a bunch sitting there uh, in their high chairs. Uh, with their bibs and their uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> to be fair, yes. they did agitate the the ring that was around the space station enough for it to fire the laser, and which was conveniently uh, aimed at both the ship and then the uh, the uh, the other armada, the three ships that came up and told them to stop doing what they're doing. 
Yeah. And it destroyed them. Well, you, you realize that the initial firing of the ring in Earth orbit, what triggered it is when the blood hit it. The DNA from mm-hmm. the blood hit it, okay? So that's that's an important thing to remember. Uh, okay. Uh... That's consistent with uh, that's consistent with what I've seen so far, but they did not actually state that in the show itself, at least in the episodes that I've seen so far. Uh, it's the first. It's the first episode where. Yeah, I, I, I know. The, yeah, but you have to watch because when the blood hits the space station or hits the ring, then the ring starts reacting to the blood hitting it. Yeah. Okay. But. The the blood the DNA and the blood and the ring like I said when 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 the rest of the train wreck gets together you you will find out the caboose ended up in the middle with the water tanks on both ends and the engine standing straight up in the air. Oh, good time. Yes, to be had by all. Film at eleven. Yeah, I'm I'm I'll work on Dusty's uh, three ish right now and we'll talk about the other six episodes yep. next time. All right, so how about we move on to a thing I can feel good hating on? Oh my! Uh, let's talk about fireworks. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't hate this movie either, but I didn't actually like it. No, I. <laughs> I there was a lot missing out of this movie. I thought it was all right. So um, there are three directors here for this show. Uh, for this movie, uh, Akiyuki Shinbo was chief director. Uh, Nobuyuki Takeuchi, co-director, and Seimei Kido, uh, Kidokoro, uh, Kidokoro, assistant director. Uh, and it was um, animated by Shaft. Well, yeah, produced by Shaft, which uh, is very apparent by some of the animation choices. <laughs> and also just the way that the women's faces are drawn. Are there really. head tilts? Yes, yes, of course there are. Uh, but also, like Shaft has a particular way of animating women's lips yes. that I notice instantaneously uh, in any show done by them. Um, it's it's a real weird thing, but it's there. Um, so Fireworks is a like pretty basic meet cute movie about a girl and a guy falling in love with each other with the twist that there's also like this um like weird magical MacGuffin involved that lets them uh depending on your interpretation either travel back in time or transport themselves to alternate universes that let them play out different scenarios um I'm more partial to the latter based on how the ending goes, but we'll get to that. I think it's pretty clear that by the end it, that, yeah, the latter interpretation is correct because, uh, like, I mean, because, because, like, the way the, like, from the way the fireworks play out, from the way the fireworks play out, like, it's clear, like, that this is not their original that this is not their original universe that they're in when they uh, when he does when he does the like the loopback thing yeah so uh, i i will i will first say my good things that i the things i liked about this movie because i'm going to get pretty harsh near the end so i'm just going to 
just say this so people know there are actually things I liked about it. Um, it is a very, very pretty movie. Um, yes. I really like the visuals in it. It looked very good. Um, the core premise of it is, is also like really interesting. Um, and I would be lying if, if I said that there were times when it did not tug at my heartstrings because it did. Um, but ultimately, once I finished watching it, I realized that this was kind of the film equivalent of cotton candy, and that it looks good, and initially tastes good, but ultimately, it there's nothing there. It's just sugar and air. <laughs> like, it, ha it has all the depth of a kiddie pool. Um, but before I get really deep in that, because that'll, that'll take... It'll take me a while. Uh, I should go around and, and get everybody else's impressions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So the, thing, the the way the movie, the way the movie was structured, I was mostly okay with it for most of its run, but in the last act, it was the last act of it was unsatisfying. Is that where they went to yeah. started at the swimming pool? I'd say the last act is sort of like when they get on the train is when I'd say sort of the last act starts, like the the whole train sequences and then going up to the, uh, that that's when like the, uh, the universe traveling sort of shifting sort of begins in earnest. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, right. Because yeah, <clears throat> because when it gets to, uh, when like when he, he, like, because over the course of the over the course of the movie, like I think he act, he activates the MacGuffin like three like three times, and so like he does a he sort of you know makes a wish to he you know when when he like basically fails to when he basically fails to hook up when he fails to meet up with this girl that he likes. Yeah, it's like once to win the race, then uh once to get her on the train. Yep. Wants to prevent her parents from seeing them. Her mother. Because that's yeah, mom's, mother that's mom's voice. And then, and then... Yeah, I think, I think that's the last wish he makes until, like, he picks up the shard at the end. Right. Well, I thought he made a... Well, he made a wish as they were falling off the lighthouse. And that that was that was the one to uh, say like if only they didn't see us. No, I thought that was hmm, okay. Because you know, the reason why they got pushed off was because the parents saw them. Well, it's his friend. Yeah, I really do feel sorry for the guy because he he gets hit by the mother's boyfriend and then his friends punch on him and she kisses him. Oh, okay, he came out okay in the deal, I guess. Yeah, so that's another thing. Like, the male lead in this in this movie is a is a real dumb boy. Like, he has his heart in the right place, but he is very bad what? at actually again. doing anything effective at the first go around. But amazingly, his friends are even worse. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, the friends. Yeah, those, like, I think they really bring the whole movie down. 
who, well, I, yeah, like, especially his, what seems to be his best friend. His best friend is just the worst. Well, and the other thing is, I'm trying to, I'm assuming age is that uh, since she says, well, do you think I can act 16? I'm going to assume that we're dealing with 13, 14, maybe 15 year olds at the most. Yeah, I'd say like 14 or 15, probably. So, uh, there are times that 14 year old males have a tendency to be dense as yesterday's. Uh, yeah, Trump him post. being him being dumb, I didn't have a problem with that because, yeah, that's something. <laughs> I mean, that's par for the course for teenage boys. Uh, I mean, I just, I mostly just found it endlessly frustrating because, like, he never really gets better at doing anything. Like, he only succeeds because he gets to try again. Well. Like, he has zero actual character growth. Though, to be fair, neither does the female lead, and that's kind of my problem with the uh, entire movie. I'd, like, say the last ten, I'd say the last ten minutes there was some character growth when they were in the uh, water, and, and some, some. Alright, do, do you mind if I go off now? Sure, have at it. Alright, so, like we were gonna my, stop my big... <laughs> my my big problem with fireworks uh is that it, it is a movie that is like supposed to be about the relationship between um uh, Nazuna and Norimichi developing um because of the chances that the uh like magical orb uh gives Norimichi but what really happens is that whenever we shift into a parallel universe, like, while they get more time together, they're, like, we never really learn more about what their relationship even is. We know that Nazuna really likes Norimichi and wants to be with him forever. We know that Norimichi likes Nazuna and just cannot talk ever when we actually need him to say something um but we don't ever learn why they want to be in a relationship with each other like sure nazana is pretty but that's not the basis for a relationship um well when you're that age yes it is okay but here's the thing like we are presented with um, the idea that they go off on, like, that they run away together as being, like, the romantic ending, when really it's just like, why do you think this will work? Why, why, like, like, he sees the shard at the end, and it's of them, like, having a happy life together, when all I'm thinking is, like, how does that even happen? Like, how is this not a, not a situation My... where these two spend, like, a month together, and then are like, wow, this was a real bad idea. Maybe we should go back home. Uh, um... My, yeah, my, my interpretation is they don't, like, is that... Yeah, the shard was just another one of those possibilities that's not going to happen. Um, and that the thing is, it, it it's it's never presented like that though. It's consistent like that option of eloping is consistently presented as the romantic thing to do. Well, my take on it was that is that uh, <clears throat> like what actually happens at the end is that 
like is that they go back is that they go back to the real they go back to the real world and well she's got to move to another she's got to move to another city i mean which which would be an interesting way to go with it but the show never ever touches on that it never tries to critique the core premise of oh if we just elope and run away from my parents everything will be fine it never delves into that because it never delves into anything like we still we still don't know you know what their relationship even is together we don't know why they start even liking each other i sure as hell don't know why nazina likes noramichi because sure he's a good boy but also he is for most of the runtime of the movie he is absolutely incapable of actually communicating with her it's it is it is a show where characters talk at each other but never actually engage in dialogue with each other for the entire goddamn runtime it is so infuriating there there is nothing here i was looking at the images and the crystal shards and thinking that that was their future together where it shows them on the Ferris wheel in the town, uh, at the restaurant, and all those other things. That that was their their future after they became old enough to actually travel and, and find each other again. Uh, I would maybe, but here, but the, I mean, possibly. But the thing is, is that when he takes that shard, the very next thing that happens is Nazana asks him, like, well, he jumps in the water. Nazana asks him, like. You know what kind of world will we meet up in this time? And the next thing we see, like both of them are no longer at at the school, which implies that Noramichi ran away as well. That's so possible. Like, what am I? What else am I supposed to take from the dots that they've lined up? Uh, look, I, I I'll I, I'll <laughs> go with your eighty percent. Where's the last part of the ending? Yeah, I, I'm. I was with that. I was hoping that it was, I don't know, maybe it was in the shards or maybe it's in the stars. Like, I, I agree that your interpretation and and even and Ben's too would be the better and more sensical options. But that's, but that's, those are the ones that are the least supported by the text. Well, and also those are the options that the text least interrogates as possibilities. Like, because ultimately, this is ultimately like this is a movie where, you know, uh, this boy realizes that his crush is a girl who is very depressed and suffers from anxiety and just needs someone to talk to and like be friends with. Because as far as we can tell, Nazana like doesn't have anybody else that she like nope. can vent to. That's what her and, mother said. And instead of, like, actually connecting on that kind of emotional level and talking out their problems, they just run away constantly, and then it, and then the movie ends. And that is presented as, like, a romantic thing. Um, uh, my interpretation... My, yeah, my interpretation is that, like, them running away is just sort of, you know... That is just a brief, sort of a brief, a brief fantasy that they would never follow, that they're never going to really follow through on. And that they, in that, like, 
And that in the end, they're just, you know, like, okay, they, they, they sort of, they manage to communicate to each other that they like each other, but, you know, and they had, like, some fun times, they had some fun times in this, like, I guess, uh, sort of bubble universe or whatever, but when they get back to the real world, she's gonna have to move away, and he's gonna have to accept that. Now, but if that was the but if that was the case, then why isn't that the story we are shown? Because that is a far more interesting narrative than what we got. Yeah, well, we got yeah, a shattered like prison. why why do we have to interpolate all this? Yes, we, I we think there there was like sh- there was like yeah there was like five minutes they could yes yeah, so they could fix they could fix that aspect of it by like just having like another five minutes to actually lay out like. What really happens, rather than yeah, like, uh, like honestly, of all the possibilities that we are presented with, um, in terms of like how this story could go, and what their relationship could be like, like, and even in like sort of the most sort of fairy tale romance scenario that they somehow do manage to make eloping work, that is still a more interesting story than what we got because it's like. How how did they make that work exactly? Yeah, like I said, it, it is it is a movie where the possibilities we are presented with that don't get explored are more interesting to me than a lot of stuff that we are actually shown. Well, see, I'm still back on the crystallized future, so and I was going to go and watch the end of it again, and other things came up, so I yeah, will probably watch it, the last. 15 minutes of it again to see what all was in the pieces of crystal as they floated down because there was most crystals had an individual scene in them but yeah it's 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 lousy put together and yeah he wasn't in class but was he not in class because he was cutting class or like you said he just you know decided to follow her or yeah that's that would have been something nice to know unless it's in the crystal shards and you know we were supposed to pick that up but nobody held up the cue card going read the crystal read the crystal yeah like i i have to assume that he's not in class because he did end up running he did choose a future where they run away together because like if he was just you know skipping class for that day or was sick like i don't know why they would have focused on that as the very last scene and and the teacher's comments like oh where's he at yeah which, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, and the only the only memorable character was the teacher. Yeah, can I get a story about the teacher's relationship <laughs> instead? Yeah, because uh, <laughs> well, she's and, a good character, and I like and I like her boyfriend. He's pretty good too. Yeah, and uh, you know who voiced the teacher, right? Uh, that was that, that was Hanakana. Kana Hanazawa. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Didn't you recognize the psychopaths in her? I look. I I can barely ever recognize Japanese voice actresses. I'm sorry. Like, I know. That's uh, yeah. I can't. There's a bunch I can't recognize, but Hanakana is one of the ones that I do recognize. I think the only other one I can really recognize is Miyuki Sawashiro. I can I can usually recognize Norio Wakamoto, and that's about it. Oh, and just to let you know, Ben, it looks like she's back from maternity leave, so you'll be hearing her pleasingly pleasing voice again. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, for male... Yeah, for male voice actors, like, there's a few that I can put a name to. Yes, Norio Wakamoto is one of them. Uh, I think the, the other big one I can recognize is uh, Sugita Tomokazu. He he played think. he he voiced uh, he voiced young Joseph in uh, in Battle Tendency. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, I can usually pick out Ken. He uh, was the uh, brother in uh, Space Brothers, the the astronaut brother, not the astronaut. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, hey, I got that right without having to get my cue cards out. Pretty good. Yeah, it's. I know. Okay, so we're are we done derailing the movie? Yeah, I I feel like I don't really have much else to say about this movie. Like, I really want to like it. I did because it is very pretty, and I did like the premise. Um, and there were times when like the romance did get to me, and I was like, oh, I hope it works out. But ultimately, when I think back on it, and even even at multiple points during the movie, it, there's just there just really wasn't wasn't enough, enough substance uh, substance there for me. And yeah, it, it, yeah, it yeah, it had it, for me. It had it had some. It had it had good moments, but it didn't add up to a satisfying whole. Yeah, the, la- yeah. the last twenty minutes failed to produce, in my opinion. It, it just. The, the last 20 minutes could have they, they could have done a whole lot more with the last 20 minutes and that would have been a basically from the last time they got off the train and, and started running towards the lighthouse but they didn't I give it a three also the fireworks metaphor or whatever like the whole thing about the fireworks was like are they well, like you know are they flat or are they round that was really dumb. Yeah, I never really understood the point of that. Like, it's supposed to be significant, but I don't know why. Well, <laughs> like, it doesn't... Like, I I guess it ties into, like, oh, that's how you can tell you're in an alternate reality, I guess. No, but also, why does that matter? It, well, because it was a thing. I mean, I've seen fireworks from the air. Fireworks are round. Okay, folks, they're round. Trust me, they're round. From the yeah. ground, they can look like they're flat, depending on viewing angle. And that's where that all got started was, you know, like, well, I think they're flat. I think, And then that drunk fireworks guy said, oh, yeah, they're flat, they're flat, they're flat. It's like, uh, again, though, kids that age are gullible. They'll believe an adult even though he's about 90 proof. <laughs> <laughs> drunk fireworks man for... Yeah, that... Makes, for for MVP, that that, 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 <laughs> that makes you know fireworks safety take on a whole new. Never mind. Uh, but yeah, that's the I, the <clears throat> round or flat fireworks was. I think they were trying to use that as a piece to hook it all together, and it it didn't hook up because the two of them wandering around. See, I knew it was going to be bad when she started pack, got her kimono out the first time and started packing her suitcase. And her mother's going, well, she doesn't have a boyfriend. And, and the uh, boyfriend is going, uh, are you sure about that? Yeah, I, I think it was that first third of the, of the movie where I was most 
into it mm-hmm. and thinking like, okay, this could be really interesting because that part of the movie is where it seems like like that Nazana is not just going to be like sort of an object of desire that is put on this pedestal as like the perfect girlfriend and like we're actually going to get into some nitty-gritty relationship stuff and dealing with um depression and anxiety but they like outside of those like first couple uh failures where uh where Norimichi has to reset we never really get into that it's just kind of dropped it's so i I think that i think that's what's frustrated me most is that there is some honestly interesting stuff set up in that first third and we never it never really capitalized well okay the the depression anxiety thing i think okay i don't know i don't know about that i mean because the main thing is that she's i mean she's she's under stress because like her mother's marrying a new guy her mother, yeah, her mother's marrying a new guy, and she's going to have to move to another city. Um, and so she's kind of, she, so she's stressed about that, and so, and so, like, what she does in, during the movie is sort of her acting out about that, because she couldn't really talk, because she, because she didn't have anybody to talk to about that. And, you know, and, and also, you know, she, also, she has to move. She also, she, you know, she has to move to another city before she can, you know, you know, before she can, you know, basically communicate her feelings to the guy that she likes, which I get, which is another source of, source of stress. And Well, I was okay with everything up until the first time where she was in the kimono and her mother caught up to her and dragged her back, kicking and screaming and everything else. And then, well, a- and then after that. Um, I, I kind of felt like I was almost in the, uh, her, he endless eight loop, but it wasn't quite as bad as the endless eight loop. Yeah. yeah. But at least, then the reason why, at least her, he, at the end of eight episodes, there was a definitive end where here, yeah, there wasn't. Uh, so the, Ben, the, the reason why I, I got that interpretation from it is because, um, it didn't seem like it was just isolated to that, like, one moment in time of, like, her mother, uh, you know, you know, getting a new boyfriend and, and like, you know, moving somewhere. Because, like, it, it is implied, you know, early in that first third that, like, Nazuna doesn't really have that many friends. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't socialize much. And her relationship with her mother has been strained for a while, because like oh yeah, I'll get, when, that's definitely that that's definitely true. So the, like so like there's very clearly a pattern of like behavior here with Nazana, and this particular moment was just the breaking point for her. So I I, I don't that's why I got my read of the situation is because it didn't seem like it was just that. Uh, and her father yeah, had recently died, so, and I don't know if she had recovered from her, because, you know, she makes that comment, yeah, it's only been a year, and here, mom's got another boyfriend, da, 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 da. she's going to marry him, blah, 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 we're going to wander off to Tambuk too. 
because the her history is like yeah she says see my mom cheated on her first husband with my dad and then my dad died now this and that yeah i mean i could see where she had a yeah i mean that there's another direction that the show that the movie could have gone in like maybe like maybe nazana's like sort of uh like weirdly like fantasy romantic desires of like eloping and living together and making it work in Tokyo are a result of like her ideas of what you know love is supposed to be like being shattered by her by the realities of you know her own parents relationship but again that's just me extrapolating because well, the and, movie never bothers to really explore that. That would also, in a way, explain why she didn't have any close friends because they it, close girlfriends, especially, would have picked up on mom real quick and, and figured it out. And that looked like something that she wanted to keep a lid on and keep secret. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I don't we, really yeah, have much else go, to we say could, about we could this. Go I don't an, think. We could go another hour in this circle, and it's still going to end up the same way. The first first third of it wasn't bad. The s- next third was mm, the last third uh, was missing in action. I give it a three. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think where the movie where the movie lost me was at was after the second reset. Yeah, when they're when they're like. You know, after they get on the train, you know, when when he when he wishes like to hide from the people, I'm like, yeah, and then, oh, and, then come he, on. and then he tackles her to the seat. Yeah, yeah, I I would definitely agree that after the second reset, like that's where I sort of realized that the movie was not going to go in in the direction that I was hoping it would go in. No, I would, um, yeah. I was hoping for a nice walk on a sandy beach, talking about what we were going to do after yeah. high school and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, after the second reset, it was getting annoying, but it wasn't unrecoverable. But it didn't really recover. Yeah, yep. uh, I'm gonna give this movie a two. Um, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty movie, and like again, the first third of it or, or so does show promise, but ultimately, like. There's just not much here. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a two, or maybe, maybe, maybe a low three. Yeah, I'll give it a I, low I, three. I, I, I'm giving it a three because the, it, it just, you know, it was a three. It, it, I, it was. We've watched worse. We've watched better. So it's in the middle. All right. Uh, Aaron, did you watch this? Lord, no. <laughs> uh, you're probably better off. It was yeah, it's it was not a bad decision. It was, as, I would call it I would call it a mixed bag. As far as listener question goes, and cat mech fever, uh, somebody war- wrote War and Peace book two. Oh right, I need to check that uh, comment section. Okay, yeah. All right, so uh, Fathomless Blue has uh, some things to say about uh, our most recent reviews because he's the one who recommended some of them. Um, I figured I'd say a few things about some of the most recent reviews, you know, seeing as I recommended them and all. Uh, Regarding A Silent Voice, one of the many things I really appreciate about the movie is how it presents the various forms of passive bullying and flimsy excuses behind them beyond purely going down the standard aggressive but insecure ringleader route that usually dominates such stories. 
The entire group has their share of guilt, which they later deny by making Shoya the sole, if deserving, scapegoat. Naoka acts bold and presents her cruelty as a form of calling Shoko out on her shit, despite it being obvious to everyone that jealousy is her chief motivator. Miki reacts hysterically and puts on the waterworks, presenting herself as a victim and deliberately delegitimizing any accusation against her. A response probably less motivated by spite, but from a desperate denial to acknowledge the less-than-perfect aspects of the image she presents. Then there's Shoya's best, a former best friend, Kazuki, who always came across as a willing participant in the bullying, but used plausible deniability as an excuse to remove himself from any blame, which subsequently gives him the excuse to bully Shoya in return under the guise of righteous justice. Oh hey, it's the video game and anime harassment community's MO to a T. As someone who unfortunately engaged in their fair share of crappy experiences growing up, this vulture mentality reminded me of past behavior and stung more than many of Shoya's actions, really making me struggle empathize, uh, empathizing with them. Uh, there's certainly hope for some of them further down the line, but they're only on the first step to any form of redemption. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is a fantastic um, read of the movie, and it's... Uh, it's one that I wish I had thought to bring up, uh, but no, it, it is something that I sort of like was passively seeing, e even if I didn't necessarily like put, put it into words. Um, but yeah, it is one of the things I did love about a silent voice is how smart it is in regards to like knowing the causes, like the various causes and also, um, effects of bullying and the mental gymnastics that kids will do and not even just kids because like as foundless blue mentioned like this is still happening in among the video game and anime community with grown-ass adults doing it um but yeah the mental gymnastics that people will do to justify their toxic behavior um it's an ex it's an ex such an extremely intelligent story <laughs> Okay, I'd like to comment to the next paragraph. Sure. Uh, uh, so you then... Go ahead. You oh, would you it. like to read it? No, you go ahead and read it. I'll just comment. Okay. Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll set you up here. So uh, he continues. Also, Larry, I'll have you know that both the Japanese and English audio for the film are very good. Uh, one great thing about the dub is that, unlike the original, an actual deaf actress was hired to play the role of Shoko. Granted, she obviously didn't have that many lines in the film, but it's the clear sign that care was put into the adaptation. Uh, NYAV Post generally nails the script and delivery for their theatrical works. Yeah, right. I, 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 watched, I, I watched the dub and I thought, yeah, it was good. Well, and I've seen so many bad dubs that I ignore dubs, so I appreciate it. I get a chance to watch it again. I will watch it in English. Yeah, that's also it is honestly pretty cool that they got a deaf actress to play Shoko because like it is kind of an issue that minority groups often get the shaft in terms of Ooh. like being cast in roles and you know, oftentimes those those roles just go to you know the you know whichever like uh, straight white actor shows up on set. Uh, <laughs> or, or like that they are or, or like a name they already know which again is typically straight white actor because those are the ones who already have the name recognition so it, it's always good when 
uh, production companies like look outside the normal acting pool to actually give um, Overlook groups a chance to you know represent themselves. You know, uh, I think the reoccurring word within this podcast should be in its title. Shaft. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Uh, just, just. Uh, you're just, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just it, it, it's yeah. Anyway, conti- please continue because uh, he's going on. He's going to touch on a couple movies that I've recommended. Sure. Uh, so, regarding in this corner of the world, don't feel bad for not enjoying it as enjoying it as much as I do, uh, Dustin. It was always a gamble, as I'm clearly more invested in the soak in the ether style of story storytelling than I suspect many of you are. There is a reason I've never tried to badger any of you to watch some of my personal all-time greats like Night on the Galactic Railroad or Angel's Egg, or why I'd hesitate recommending Naoka Yamada's follow-up to A Silent Voice, Liz and the Blue Bird. I love it, by the way. It's excellent. Just in case, though... Oh, sorry, go ahead. It's excellent. Liz and the Blue Bird. Maybe we'll... Yes. We may put that on the list. It's on the list. Um, Look. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Larry <laughs> already put it on there, I guess. Yep. Sorry. Uh, Hi. <laughs> just, <laughs> just in case, though, maybe avoid Ta- Takahata's or Ozu's filmography in the future. If you think Corner of the World is plotting, never attempt Princess Kaguya. <laughs> I do not know that reference, but uh, uh, Ben let out a knowing chuckle. Okay. Uh, well, now Princess Kaguya, Kaguya is one of is a Ghibli movie by Takahata. Ah, okay. Uh, I could gush about various aspects of the movie for hours, but one thing I'd like to focus on is how much I love that the author chose to make a character like Suzu the protagonist. A small number of people have complained about presenting someone as spacey and empty-headed as her as the chief perspective, making comparisons to Yui from Kaon, or perhaps more accurately, Osaka from Azumanga Daio. However, there's a scene that I always remember from the final episode of Azumanga where Osaka who is repeatedly shown through the series to be one of the least academically gifted students at the school, is suddenly presented with a series of incredibly, a series of incredibly challenging riddles, which she correctly guesses almost instantly. Suddenly, the show flips the situation and presents her not as the seemingly empty vis- vessel many had guessed her to be, but as someone with an incredibly vibrant and imaginative mind, but one that just isn't conduct- conducive to the rigmarole of standard physical and academic activities. She's simply operating on another plane. This is what makes Suzu special to me, as she clearly follows a similar path in life. Where most people see waves, she sees rabbits darting about. Where most would see an attempted abduction as a traumatic event, she imagines it as a victory against an ogre. She has so much imagination and inherent talents, but due to her social, historic, and economic circumstances, virtually no outlet to display them. In our modern culture, we could see the various paths someone like Suzu might take, Paths which, while maybe not especially appreciated by society at large, as art rarely is, would still be potentially open to her. But in the world she was born into, most paths are closed. Even drawing, even drawing as hobby is a rare extravagance, one that gets rarer as the resources dwindle during the war, before ultimately being taken from her entirely in the ultimate symbolic gesture. Instead of honing her craft, she's getting up at the crack of dawn and doing her chores. Even attempts at displaying flexible thinking, such as the sugar in the bowl of water, or reenacting the old war recipes, are met with mixed results. It's striking that one of the few times we see her try to re-engage with her passion in the second half of the film, she's nearly shot for being an enemy of the people. 
The lack of ability to focus on the immediate can feel frustrating at times, but it also gives Suzu an innocence that helps her help that helps give her life more warmth than the circumstances might deserve. One of the saddest things in the film is that throughout its course, as we throughout its course, we witness her loss of innocence occur through her art, moving from children's books doodles to being forced to imagine scenes such as the enemy plane circling overhead. And, culminate, and culminating with the black and white scratchiness as she retraces the events of the explosion that literally destroys, destroys her most heartfelt means of communicating with the world. Seeing Suzu move from rabbits dancing on the waves to that darkened sketch of the yard with the unexploded bomb breaks my heart every time, as, and does more at showing her subsequent self-hatred and suicidal depression than even her internal monologue manages. Uh, However, even then, through her view of the world, Suzu is able to protect herself, and by extension the viewer, from the worst of the war, either pushing it to the side or reimagining it as something else. It's telling that the most grotesque imagery on display is in the entire movie is in the final act, when the viewpoint briefly moves from Suzu to the child waiting beside the dead, rotting corpse of her mother. Through anyone else's eyes, that would have made for the, that would have made for the bulk of the film we saw, it ultimately makes for a fantastic thematic through line for how an artist might put a part of themselves into their work, reminding me a bit of The Wind Rises in that regard. Yeah, there is, there does seem to be some connective tissue between The Wind Rises and In This Corner of the World. Um, even more than just like the first superficial aspects of like uh, these people who are trying to live out, you know, just normal existences constantly being thrust into the conflict in ways that they do not want that disrupts their lives. Anyway, that was long enough. Uh, so I'll just mention to Larry and Ben that if they're interested, director Katabuchi did make an, did make an earlier, slightly more child-friendly film called My My Miracle, that could almost serve as an indirect sequel to the film, focusing on a group of children growing up in 1950s Reconstruction-era rural Japan. And on a similar note, an original author Fumio Kono also previously wrote a short manga called Town of Evening Calm, Country of Cherry Blossoms, based on several generations of survivors from the Hiroshima bomb. It's an incredible work and definitely worth searching out, although it's out of print and fairly expensive to buy secondhand. I seem to have gotten very lucky on eBay, but haven't seen a repeat of the price, price I paid. Maybe there are, there are some scans out there, but that's not my area of expertise. Oh, and Katabuchi has actually been working on a director's cut of the film, which adds another 30 minutes to its length out later this year. See you at the cinema, Dustin? Whew. <laughs> I think I'll pass. Um, no, but no, yeah, no, like... I I do I do appreciate you know the write up was lengthy but I I do appreciate it and it gives me you know more more angles at which to look at the film and even if I didn't necessarily like watching it um I do appreciate sort of what it was doing and the work that it went into it and sort of the 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 themes that it was tugging on Okay um one last paragraph and you're done so, all right. Uh, P.S. Your name was perfectly fine. I still personally found it lacking in relatable characters like all of Shinkai's previous works, but I'm glad he's finally been able to insert a cohesive and propulsive story around his drippy, nostalgic yearnings and, and uh, cloud porn. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I also appreciate how he used the comet to explore sentiments and raw emotions following the 2011 tsunami. There's no hate for me regarding that film. I can I can understand why some people don't dig on Shinkai, but I really like his stuff. I will. I am still absolutely a Shinkai apologist. Well, your name was the only Shinkai I've seen, and oh, actually, wait. Now I did watch uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices from Deep Below. Yeah, which was yeah that sort of a Ghibli esque film. I really like that one. It was okay. So uh... yeah. Larry, what's your opinion on Shinkai? Three. All right, so pretty much with uh, Ben and Fathomless Blue, then. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I mean, okay, I gave I gave your name a five, but uh, yeah, Children of Lost Voice, I give it three. Well, yeah, but we're 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 talking about giving Shinkai himself a rating. I, <laughs> I, I I've only seen two. Rate I've, the man. I've only seen two of his movies. I'm not going to give him a rating for that. Hey, Coward. Three, 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 three is always three is three is average. So you know, I mean, the guy's average. You know, he's, I don't well, see. Him, I, average, I, I don't see him holding an Oscar, and I don't see him on the end of a pike pole. So well, if I average based average. on the movies I've seen, it would be a four. But whatever. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, am I in a mood? <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't think I've seen five centimeters per sector, second or Garden of Words though. Yeah, no, I haven't seen those I've yet. I've seen five centimeters per second. Uh, I know, I know, we've seen Voices of a Distant Star because we reviewed that. Yeah, on and that was like ages ago. Yeah, that was that was a while ago. A day or three. At least. Um. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that'll that'll be it for the uh, comment section, um, and that'll also be it for our reviews this week. Uh, next week, we will be finishing up Gene Shaft, and we will also be uh, watching the third and final uh, CG animated Godzilla, Godzilla movie. Godzilla. So let, let's find out where our plucky anime protagonist take us next. Uh, another as they another can of Hannah Try to survive film. a literal Godzilla mountain. Yeah. An, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 another can of Hannah film. All right, you two say bye-bye so I can say bye-bye. Yeah, so as always, you can uh, ask us questions or leave comments on our blog at www.projecttarihi.net or at audioentropy.com or by sending us an email at bakacast at projecttarihi.net or by tweeting me at stillsthegm. And Ben, where can they bug you? You can tweet me at Deathslinky. I've been weighing in. Radical. I've been... Uh... I've been, uh, yes, I've been weighing in on the uh, current winter season shows, so check that out. Yeah, I have been noticing those tweets and then just not watching any of the most recent shows because I am bad. Oh, um, Dororo and Mob oh, Psycho are amazing. You should totally watch them. All right. Yeah. Well, I know Mob Psycho definitely is. Magnus is um, like Kotobuki. I just assume that Mob Psycho is fantastic. It totally uh, is. Early Air Force. Uh, yeah, we'll throw a few things in there. Quintessential quints. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Ben. Oh, oh, also, oh, the yeah? Resident hey. Evil 2 remake is very, very good. Oh, yeah, that came out uh, recently, didn't it? Yeah, I'll, yes. I'm going to wait for a sale on that because 
like I said, my life is about to be consumed by Kingdom Hearts 3. Uh, I need to know what happens to my to my precious boys, Sora and Riku. And also, I want to see Winnie the Pooh again. Yeah, I was going to say, guys, don't try to contact Dustin over the next like week or so. He's well, not yeah. going to be there. Yeah, no. He'll be on the well, planet, but he'll be incognito. Well, next week I'm gonna be. Next week I'm gonna be at a D and D convention. So, and uh, next week I'm gonna be celebrating whole bunches of family birthdays. All right. All right. See ya. So Ben. Dusty. Three, two, one. Kiribush. You know uh, they're freezing in North America, but they're frying in Australia. So. Uh, there's nothing to this global warming bit. I, I don't understand it at all. <laughs> bye bye. Can't have global warming. I have a snowball outside. <laughs> <laughs> bye. Bye. Recording stopped.